You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. Welcome to part two of my interview with Robbie Russell. Today, we'll dig into the results of the 2020 Ruby on Rails community survey. So Robbie, great to have you back. And I'd love to start off by asking you why Planet Argon conducts this survey. Good question. So one that I, I have to, you know, answer every few years, even to my own employees, like, why are we doing this? And so the the origin story is in the first several years of in Planet Argon being a part of the Rails ecosystem, we part of our service offerings was uh, hosting for Ruby on Rails applications. And so in 2000, I think it was 2008, 2000, give or take, we we were we were realizing that we we're lagging on kind of investing and in keeping up with some of the new ways of how servers and such were being managed and how applications were being deployed. And so we, we were like, let's run a survey of the community to get a sense of how people were currently hosting, how much they're spending on hosting, and what versions of Rails they're using, and a bunch of other little tidbits related to that. So that kind of like help. And we we promised that we would share all the results with everybody minus everybody's email address. So that way we could be like, okay, here's kind of like the state of the industry when it comes to deploying Rails. So that was our first version of that survey. And through that survey, admittedly, we realized, okay, we're way behind on a number of these kind of advancements in the deployment world. So we ended up saying, we're going to basically kill off our hosting part of our business. And we ended up selling that to another organization. And we're like, we're just going to focus on coding related projects and consultative services there. So that's how it started. And so two years later, we're like, oh, let's do it again, but we're going to modify it to be a little bit more inclusive of just the broader community. And we got rid of some of the questions related to hosting. We still keep that in there, some of that in there, but we don't get into like budgets in the same way we used to as we did back then. So it became this like, there weren't really any other surveys around the time that were really pulling the Rails community to kind of get a sense of like, what version Rails are you running? And um, what, how large is your team? And you know, where are you? And um, what gems are you relying on and which ones are frustrating to work with and what's keep and like what are some of the challenges your team's having and so this just became a thing we started running every two years so that we could then share it back with the community and just to kind of get a pulse on you know where things were moving which tools you know which you know, those things in there related to what database servers you're using um, and like we can see trends over the years like there was there's services if you go back and we over that time you can also you can like but the new survey results, you know, you can go back to 2009 and compare every couple of years and see that there are services that existed back then that no longer exist and nobody's using. There's also scenarios where like at one point, say MySQL was largely the most popular database in the community. And now it's completely flipped around where, you know, Postgres is the most popular. And I have some, I understand why that's happened, but you know, it's interesting to kind of see those types of trends over the, over the years. And so it's more of a curiosity that we have. And it's also a way that we can every couple of years interact with the community and, and kind of like catch up in a few different ways and then share that information back with the community again. Well, I think it's a fantastic project. You do a really great job of gathering the data and then turning around and displaying a very nice site in order to view that data. Of course, we will link all this in the show notes. And listeners, I suggest pausing the episode and reading over the results. And then we are going to dig into some surprises that I came across. A lot of the results were what I expected. As Robbie noted, PostgreSQL continues to dominate. New Relic is the de facto performance monitoring tool. And the folks that did take the survey, which was over 2,000 people, wholeheartedly agreed that Rails is their server-side framework of choice. 
So for the one question, you are primarily building monoliths or microservices, 25% answered hybrid. And so Robbie, in what circumstance would you take a hybrid approach? So, you know, that's a, that's a good one. The, I'm always curious about, you know, I work in a consulting world where we inherit and work on a lot of other people's projects. And so quite often, most Rails applications likely, unless they've started maybe in the last five, give or take years, um, are likely to start off in kind of a monolithic form. And then they're like, oh, let's move into a more of a microservices approach. And so they start maybe breaking off pieces of it in that way. So I think it's, it's just inherent in the kind of like, well, we want to start experimenting with microservices. So here's a segment of our application we're going to break off and you know, move it into a microservice. So I think that's that's how that comes about. Um, you know, I don't know if the, uh, I don't know what I expected the numbers to look like there, but I'm I, in some ways I think I'm surprised that that's actually maybe more, not the more, more common answer, like a higher number in some ways, but it's, but I, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but that's kind of like my theory is that I think there's like a lot of evolution of iterating on an existing application. Like, okay, how do we start moving in this direction? And then whether they're going to go like full microservices or not, you know, and basically like strip back the, the, the core part of the application, what have you. But um, I think at least that, that's at least somewhat of my theory there, but. Yeah, anecdotally, I've talked to some developers who started off with a monolith and then they moved to a microservices infrastructure and then they've decided that they don't like it. And so they're in progress of combining their microservices back together, which might lead to that hybrid answer. I think that that makes sense. I've heard there's some organizations people I've talked to on even on my podcast related where they've you know, they, they felt like they went too far down the microservices path. They're like, OK, we have all these other issues now where we haven't quite we don't actually have a big enough team to support all these different microservices and kind of like they're separate teams. And so it's like, it's the same people supporting all these microservices and we're getting these weird uh, triage problems of like, well, how, you know, ideally with microservices, you know, they're, you can kind of deploy them, you know, independently and such, but that doesn't always work when you have a small team and be like, well, if we make a change here, we also have to make, get this other deployment happening in this other, in this other service over here. So you kind of, like I've heard people moving towards having like maybe hybrids or then they also put move everything into say a mono repo where they can have an atomic commit and deploy everything at the same time. And so it's like you come up with like different sorts of technical and deployment challenges with that, but it, 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 it's, it is interesting. I don't, I don't feel like microservices has turned out to be the, uh, the, the silver bolt that I think a lot of people hoped it would be, but um, I, I think we know why though. Yes, I agree. So on the next question, I thought the question of what code to test spec ratio did your team aim for results were interesting with only 62% answering between 60 to 100% coverage. What is your philosophy on this topic? Well, you know, a lot of the time my team inherits projects where, you know, different existing software projects, primarily with Ruby on Rails. And sometimes we get really lucky and we'll see 80% coverage most of the time it's like 20 percent or less and so there's always this kind of like okay we're gonna have to work on iterating our way towards having a you know a higher level of uh, code to test ratio and so i, I think the our like our general rule is when we're working on new projects we're trying to be in the 80 to 100 percentile range is like 
but I think there's a lot of other conversations around like making sure we're working on the right types of tests, writing the, giving the, the, the platform and the application we're working on, um, or even sometimes using some sort of uh, external automated tool that's actually not part of the, the coding experience for a specific type of application or something where we need to do some more like click through situations and there's some, there's some online platforms for that. But so I think it kind of, you know, like, like a good developer, I'm going to say it, it depends, but that's kind of our general rule is like trying to be in the 80-ish percent route. So we would kind of fall into that category. So 51% answered rarely or never for contributing to open source. Does this sound correct to you? Or do you think there's a general misunderstanding of what open source is? That's interesting. I, I actually find the number higher than I think I actually would think it would be. I think there's a lot of people that are using open source, but what does it mean to, I guess, contribute back to open source is maybe what we're trying to ask here. And so whether or not that means they've submitted a pull request, they've reported a bug on, you know, on a, on a, on a jam or whatever, or they've helped, you know, submitted a pull request or help update some documentation, or they've maybe helped answer questions on a mailing list or a form or on Stack Overflow related to something that was, I guess, technically an open source related problem, um, tooling problem. So like I know anecdotally from, you know, just thinking about people on my own team, there's there's developers that have contributed to open source projects. And there's a number of them that are really just intimidated about even knowing where to start. Um, it's, they're like, well, I, I know how to download things, but like, who am I to, go open up a pull request on changing something like it's just not part of like how they're thinking about being a programmer at this point in their career. So if anything, I found the number actually a little higher than I expected it. So I don't know. And that's why we discuss the results. <laughs> so at 31%, jQuery is still the number one JavaScript library used alongside Rails. Do you suspect this is legacy choice or is it still being actively chosen? I, I would say that this, the longevity of Rails applications, there's probably there's probably a number of applications that have been around for a while that still have jQuery included in the application um, because they they might be afraid to rip it out because they don't know what they're going to break. Uh, I think it's probably one of the most common reasons. Like I, I can vouch for that on a few projects of our own that we're working on right now. Uh, where it's got there's React areas and there's some jQuery and there's some backbone areas and we're like okay well we if we yank that is it anything gonna break I don't know there's not enough test coverage on this application that we inherited maybe so there's a little bit of a kind of figuring that out if it's still being used or not and so and if anyone listening has some good suggestions on how to you know like I know there's tools uh, where you can kind of see which code in your Ruby on Rails application like your Ruby code is being executed. Uh, to see if, if that's being used in production, but I, I haven't I haven't explicitly looked to find if there's any tooling around to see if certain libraries in your JavaScript are being called upon when you know users are interacting with things in the application. But that might be something to be kind of curious about. But I, I do think yeah, back to your original point there that I think it's more to do with legacy. Um, and then I think there's also maybe an aspect of working with um, even if you're building a new Rails application right now and you needed to add just some small little UI update type things like if you want to do you do you need to go as far as creating react components to have maybe a little like bar or something kind of do some sort of little quick little animation is that overkill or not and that's I think it's like a good conversation to have with, uh, where I've, I personally feel like 
there are times where React could be a little overkill and something like jQuery could still work. And I know there's a number of other tools out there now that, that are way smaller footprint than jQuery, but um, for anyone that's been around for a while, like there's a, there's plenty of, there's, there was a lot, and there are a lot of jQuery plugins that are easy enough to, you know, get up and get running with as well. So. I agree. I think it translates from other frameworks as well. And yes, I agree that it's some legacy and I think ultimately they want stimulus to fill in that gap, but I don't think it has the, the usage quite yet. So, uh, you did mention that one really cool thing about the survey is that you can compare year over year. And one thing that has definitely been very popular as of late is that VS Code is now dominating at 32% as the preferred editor, which is I really find quite impressive, depending, especially with how young it is. So any guesses as to why? You know, I think the, you know, I'm, I, I've installed it. I don't use it personally. Um, I'm still using Atom, and I know I need to probably switch away at some point. But I admittedly don't do a lot of coding in my day-to-day -day activities. But, you know, I was curious about this, and I actually chatted with a few people on my team that are using it. And they're, you know, when they, I was like, what is it about it that you really, you know, find unique? Or, and it, it was, they were, they described it in a way that was, it felt like, well, I feel like that's kind of the same reason I would have said this, said about Sublime or Atom or, you know, previous tools that used to be around um, in, in, in our ecosystem. So I do think the, um, the, the fact that there is, maybe there's some aspect of Microsoft buying GitHub and their, their developer relations, at least in the open source community has drastically flipped around over the last, you know, definitely compared to 15, 20 years ago, um, compared to, you know, maybe even a decade ago. So they're, there's a lot of tutorials online about using, you know, using VS Code, and they have some cool little features. And you know, oh my Z shell can work within VS Code, and you know, there's an, I've never done that myself, but I've seen a lot of people writing, um, putting little YouTube videos or tutorials on how to t set that stuff up. And so I think there is a, a, an aspect of trying to make that the experience of using your editor a little bit more delightful. And I think that's been an area that has probably been ripe for some improving on. And I don't know that it's exponentially greater than a lot of the other tools that are available right now but it's so it's an, it's an interesting one because i don't feel like i have enough exposure to it but i, I see people using it um, i see a lot of junior developers that were a lot of like the developers we bring in interns every quarter and you know when they come out of the coding schools like they're all using vs code and i don't so someone told them to install it and and start using it or they they saw someone else doing it and in the same way like why is all my z shell popular someone else was you know using it and they're like oh i guess i'll do that too so same thing with like other sorts of tooling like uh your terminal and you know on mac there's uh what's that other one that's been kind of like hyper has been one that's been popping up more recently in the last few years versus iterm or the one that comes pre-installed with your apple your mac os so uh, i don't i don't know i don't have a strong preference in this this realm as again i'm using adam and i'm kind of in the minority at this point as adam only has i think nine percent and i think that was a higher number couple years ago for sure well we'll just give a big kudos to the vs code developer evangelists because they're clearly doing a great job as someone who's been on a windows machine for the last year vs code was the best coding experience that i could find and that might also relate as well as people might not necessarily be grabbing a mac as the first laptop now granted mac is still dominating but um VS Code might be opening things up for Windows and Linux. That's true. I was actually, I actually expected Windows to have grown a lot more than it had. Um, 
it still seems like it's pretty small in the community, at least in the Ruby on Rails specific community. And I'm curious how that would compare to other technology stacks, like maybe in the JavaScript related. Um, uh, and I don't know if that speaks, like what is your experience? You know, you've been working with Windows for the last year or so. Is, is Ruby on Rails feeling a lot easier to work with in that space now? Or are you using kind of the, uh, the Ubuntu subsystem type approach there? Yeah, I'm using WSDL too, and it's been good that I can use Bash for Windows, and I wouldn't have been able to pull it off if Scott Hanselman hadn't mm -hmm. posted a blog post on how Ruby on Rails could be fabulous on Windows. I was kind of stuck in a situation where my Mac completely failed, and so I needed to quickly port over to an available Windows machine. Now, that being said, I might not be on Windows forever, but I can say it's doable. It's not necessarily my preference, but I think it opens up programming to a lot more people so i'm appreciative that there is at least a solution that's great and so you're and are you doing anything with uh within your your environment with vs code where you've got like the terminal interactive in there and you mentioned using bash there yes yes uh, i am using a remote connection in order to access it so that works as well it's a bit memory intensive and i've heard that there are new improvements coming along uh, it's just it feels overall that microsoft is moving just at a really fast clip on everything that they're that they now have their hands on typescript github npm it just seems like everything is moving very quickly which i think lends to how well vs code is doing this episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by FusionAuth. FusionAuth provides authentication, authorization, and user management for any app. It's a complete identity and access management tool that saves your team time and resources. Drop in FusionAuth and you can easily add support for complex standards like OAuth, OpenID, Connect, and SAML to your application. Need additional login features or complex compliance requirements managed? FusionAuth makes that simple too. It's built for devs to deploy anywhere and integrate in minutes, and it scales to hundreds of millions of users. Plus, it's free forever. Seriously. Try it today, and they'll send you a free t-shirt. If you're looking for more features like breach password detection, advanced registration forms, LDAP integration, and support with guaranteed response times, check out FusionAuth's paid editions. For a limited time, they're offering Ruby on Rails listeners 25% off using promo code Ruby. Visit fusionauth.io slash podcast to learn more. Thanks to FusionAuth for supporting the show. So this is always an interesting statement. I feel the Rails core team is shepherding the project in the right direction, and 78% of surveyed said totally or mostly agree. Do you think Shopify, GitHub, and Hay's recent successes have influenced this? I, I think to a degree. Um, I, I think, you know, it's interesting the way you're phrasing that because I think the way I was thinking about it more of inter like those are I think good examples of projects and, and organizations that use Ruby on Rails in particular early on in their the life of their company to help build out their platform and I know some of those companies have other technology stacks being used behind the scenes for some aspects maybe not hey and you know, Shopify is still largely Ruby Ruby on Rails but to my to my, to my best of knowledge there but I think a lot of it has to do with the not over bloating the there's like, I feel like even though, you know, we're in rails six, six, one, yeah, six, one ish right now. And, you know, you can still go back and look at like a rails three app and see, you know, there's still a lot of, cons there's some consistency there. And I think the, they're, they're, the core team is make I think been a lot more mindful in the last few years about making upgrades a little bit more, um, 
straightforward in some ways we've there's been some you know some conscious decisions to break some things apart into different gems over the years that's been helpful but i think you know there's there's a there's a steady release cycle security is being well i think taken care of well by the community and and how the, the release cycles work um you know there's occasionally some questionable things that people might be like well why did they add this new you know, feature into, into Rails core versus it just being some sort of extension. Um, I'm thinking in particular to like when they went into the active storage and, you know, which was, I think, a good thing at the time. And then, you know, then Paperclip kind of, you know, got abandoned. And I think there's, you know, there's some little bit of fallout there, but I think that was a good um, exercise there. But I think there's still like good momentum happening and, and the, the, the ecosystem is still seems fresh and alive and they're mindful not to be breaking too much of what used to work. And so I, that's how I interpret how people are answering that question. But I do think the, uh, you know, there's some aspects to maybe the, you know, things that I'm curious about with the, like maybe kind of touching on maybe some deeper topics related to Rails. I think there's, it's hard to get a sense of the long, the, the, the big picture with Rails. Early on in the Ruby on Rails community, we were, it was the underdog and we were like fighting, you know, it's, you know, there's, to for to be considered a valid platform to work with and now you know fast forward 15 years you know it's seen as this like older stack it's not as glamorous to maybe start using it now as these other technology stacks and that are popping up over the years and there's so many rails related type projects but for people that really love working with ruby on a regular basis ruby on rails is still a really good platform for them to do that with and I think that just the core team is 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 being mindful not to to break shit as you know as, as things get updated over the years. That's a great way to put it. So my last observation is certainly a selfish one. Can you name the top five podcasts that appeared under what are some technical podcasts that you enjoy listening to? Yes. So let's see. Let me pull up these numbers real quick. But yeah, I think you know that one. You know, I was looking over the data, and there's I was actually surprised by just how many different podcast people reported that they or at least uh mentioned that and so it was, we'll provide a much longer list on the survey results so you can kind of dig into things but for the top five most uh i, I say i say popular but you know this was obviously free form it wasn't like everybody said what's your favorite some people gave us one answer some people gave us you know six podcast answers so by most mentions i think is with a caveat to make the data a little bit more clear and number five most ranked uh podcast was rails with jason and number four is a little known podcast called the ruby on rails podcast the one we're on right now number three is ruby rogues and number two was remote ruby and number one was Thoughtbots the bike shed those are all great podcasts and i'm in very good company and i really appreciate you asking that question because Sometimes as a podcast host, you're not quite sure if people are out there and if they're listening. And so I want to thank you listeners for for staying here with me. It's been almost two years that I've been hosting the show and I really appreciate, you know, putting putting this podcast out there and for listening. That's great. And I was really surprised to find that Maintainable made the top 10. So I'll go with that. But the uh, um, so that, that was kind of exciting to see my own show up there as well. So I. I I mentioned it to my partner and he was very impressed with my top five. And he said, you know, if you even made top 20, I would be impressed. That's awesome. So you should feel good. Congratulations. And yeah, keep up the good work on that. And it is it's true as podcasters where, you know, sometimes we'll see some interactions on social media or occasional reviews will pop up on Apple 
podcast or what have you, but you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you see all these downloads and you, you kind of infer some sort of uh, level of, of listening there, but it's based off the technology. There's not a lot of data insights that we can get into in terms of which episodes are like, how long are people listening to the episodes all the way through and like which content are people finding most interesting unless people tell you. So for people listening, you know, if you want to hear more of different types of topics that Brittany you're enjoying when she talks about with specific types of uh, guests, let her know so that she can um, try to get more of those types of guests on the show for you. Awesome. So I want to wrap up the show with a question that I always ask my guests. So aside from the survey results that you've seen, Robbie, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Rails communities? I think we have a problem. And if we want to keep working with Ruby and Rails for to compete in this landscape of, of there being a lot of variety of choices now with technical stacks, um, I, I, I'm assuming, Brittany, that you being a host, kind of maybe infer that you do find Ruby on Rails to be your technology of choice. Is that a safe assumption? Oh, it is. So one of the things that I've, my observations over the years, having been around since, you know, basically beginning of 2005 in this community, is there was an era of, say, the first five years in the Rails community where a lot of people were, early adopters were kind of getting really excited and they were blogging and talking a lot about using Ruby on Rails and how to do things with it. They were starting their new businesses, you know, GitHub, you know, that wasn't the first project that those that team worked on with Ruby on Rails. They had a couple of other products before that. And that's kind of, you know, when Tobias started working on Shopify, you know, we, we were all kind of like very excited and talking about it online and about our new technology. And we were kind of at being advocates for Ruby on Rails and trying to get other people to like say, hey, look at how efficient we are working using Ruby on Rails. And so I think there's this interesting problem that we have in this particular community is that a lot of people that were early adopters that created businesses went on to create good, really good businesses. And they're now focused on other types of challenges on their day-to-day -day life. So they're not, you know, Tobias at Shopify or even DHH who, you know, is, you know, person that created Ruby on Rails. Most of what he talks about online isn't Ruby on Rails. It's like a smaller subset of the things, the projects and initiatives he's focused on. And so it kind of leaves this vacuum of, um, relying on people coming into the community to talk about the technology and sharing how to do things with it and providing, you know, working on examples and people are, uh, um, attracted to shiny things at times. And so there's a lot, I think there's a lot more content being produced in the world in a lot of different varieties of tools and, and tool stacks. And we're, we're kind of, I think we're, we're kind of falling behind a little bit because we're not talking about our technology as often as we need to be, I think, to com compete because it is these, these, uh, the, the, the technology of choice and the popularity of Ruby isn't something that's predetermined by like, well, I guess this other technology now is taken, has dethroned Ruby on Rails or, and Ruby on Rails will never become like, you know, a second or third most popular technology again, or most ex thing that people are excited about that stuff that actually can change. And this all comes down to kind of like content marketing and just mind share within the community. It's something we can influence, but I think it's, 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 I don't think it's something that individual developers feel like they can really contribute to, or even feel like they they need to. Um, and I also think another aspect of to the technology not being new so people coming into it like it's an existing technology stack and so they're not advocating they don't it's not even part of like their normal way of maybe thinking about like oh i'm working on this brand new thing i need to tell everybody about it because they need to hear about this cool new thing they're like oh look i'm learning how to do this really cool stuff with ruby on rails 
and I'm relying on the content that previous people and other people in the community have already generated. So there's kind of like, it's in this weird, I think that is one of the challenges that Ruby on Rails has going forward and has had, I think for a number of years, that it's just not really thinking about how to brand itself and like push itself as a community in the same way that it used to. We're all really, we all love our technology choice here, but we're not also maybe able to spend as much time trying to evangelize it to the people that haven't yet started using Ruby on Rails. I completely agree. And I think there's a real fear out there that people are going to reproduce the same content and then be called out for it. And that's just not the case. Everybody wants to hear a unique voice. They want to hear a unique way that you do it. Perhaps you add a certain illustration that makes it clearer to other people or you word it in a certain way that makes it more accessible to others. So listeners, if you have done anything cool, please write it down or podcast about it because we want the Ruby and Rails community to be strong. Indeed. You make a good point there. There's there's so much about, I think, even just writing content for yourself, but publishing it on your blog is a really helpful way. Like That's how most of my blogging early on was, was I didn't know how to do something. I figured it out and I documented it and I just shared it on my blog at the same time. And I, I knew that I was going to be the person that referenced that content the most. By accident, that ended up being like a way that attracted a bunch of work my way as a as a software developer and getting new clients because they came across that content too. And they're like, Oh, this person seems to know what they're talking about. So it opened up a lot of doors for me early on. And I would encourage kind of echoing what Brittany is saying there. And definitely your voice needs to be heard as well. Agreed. So Robbie, how can listeners follow you? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Robbie Russell. It's Robbie with a Y and two S's, two L's and Robbie Russell. And, you know, you can find maintainable at maintainable.fm and planet Argon at planetargon.com. Thank you so much for joining me for these two episodes. I have learned so much and I appreciate so much all the effort that you and Planet Argon have put into creating this amazing ecosystem around Oh My Z Shell and the Ruby on Rails community survey. Uh, we just really are very lucky to have you and thank you so much for being here. I appreciate the invite and thank you everybody for listening and talk to you again in two years. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.